Welcome to Rack Talks, a podcast dedicated to the latest trends in the world of RackTech, FinTech, and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. Today is my great pleasure to welcome Nicholas Pratt as my guest. A reporter and editor with more than 20 years of experience, Nicholas Pratt is the operations and technology editor at Funds Europe and an industry expert and keen observer of international trends in the area of fund and asset management, banking technology, and commercial risk. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I imagine it's interesting for you to be on the other side of the interview table for once and being asked questions instead of being the one asking them. So to get started, can you tell me a bit more about your journey in the funds and asset management industry? How has this become your area of expertise and what are some of the biggest changes that you've observed over the years? I don't know if this is unusual or not, but uh, I guess I've always wanted to be a journalist since about 10 years old. So I think it came from watching a lot of sort of political thrillers in the 80s where the investigative journalists always seemed to be the heroes. And then I studied English literature and philosophy at university, which probably the worst two degrees possible for a career in journalism because you're writing obscure 5,000-word dissertations for an audience of one, and you save all the best important bits to, to write at the end, as opposed to writing sort of 300-word news stories for as wide an audience as possible and where all the information is in either the headline or the first paragraph. But um, I got through that and moved to London and applied for as many journalism jobs as I could whilst doing some interesting other jobs. Uh, and then finally landed a job at a magazine called Banking Technology. Uh, so I started there in 1999 and has sort of stayed in that area ever since. After Banking Technology, I took over as editor of uh, Risk Professional magazine, which was kind of financial risk. And that was just as Basel II was sort of in the beginning of being introduced. And I mean, personally, I think Basel II sort of marked the beginning of a new approach to financial regulation rather than a sort of crude one-size-fits-all approach to capital adequacy. There were various grades related to sort of how sophisticated your internal modelling processes. Uh, and I guess the idea being that the better organised you were as an institution, the, the less you pay in capital adequacy or capital requirements. And then in 2003, I was launch editor of a magazine called Enterprise Risk, which looked at physical risk, sort of insurance combined with financial risk and stuff like catastrophe bonds. Also sort of early ESG issues like sustainability ratings and also business continuity issues. I think we had an article about the pandemic I think the headline was when SARS attacks. But unfortunately, it proved too ahead of its time. And um, it sort of closed just as I moved to Ireland. And so I moved from London to Ireland in 2004 and then started working for Funds Europe then. Gradually over sort of the last 17 years, that tech stuff, which used to be a sort of a small bit at the back of the magazine, has become a bit bigger and worked its way sort of slowly to, towards either the middle or on rare occasions somewhere near the front. And then most recently, we've launched a sort of a dedicated arm called FundsTech, which is to focus on the new and innovative side of uh, technology rather than just sort of the 1500 word articles on clearing and settlements. 
and we run a series of events or, or we did at least uh, webinars podcasts uh, all of those kind of things and in the last couple of weeks we just launched a dedicated website uh, which is www.fundstech.com so you can see all of that sort of content in, in one place guess when you when you ask well, what's the biggest change i've seen in those sort of 17 years it's probably like i said my kind of stuff being moved slightly forward sort of in the magazine so it's, it's becoming a more important part of the business rather than just sort of the niche wow that is uh one journey you have had a front row seat to see how technology changed and how regulation changed and what drives what in this industry yeah i think i've been a bit lucky to be in the right place at the right time first things if we look at the calendar of recent and upcoming regulations so much has happened and is happening still in relation to asset management which ones do you think are going to have the biggest impact i don't know if necessarily i've picked ones that will have the biggest impact but I, i've picked sort of three areas that i find the most interesting the first one is the sfdr uh, sustainable financial disclosure regulation As we all know, sort of ESG and sustainable investing is everywhere. And, and so is the sort of prospect of, of greenwashing. And ESFDR and the sort of EU's taxonomy and action plan is, is I guess, only the first step in, in a marathon. But, but you have to start somewhere. And, you know, it's not perfect. And there are already those that feel it goes too far and those that feel it doesn't go far enough. But I think it's going to be a, very interesting to see how it progresses. It'd be very interesting. And I guess it also raises that prospect of kind of unintended consequences with regulation. That, you know, does it become too expensive or too difficult to comply? And therefore, it's only the, the large, massive asset managers that can afford to meet the non-regulatory requirements. Finishing on that, it's also sort of how, how prescriptive does that regulation become? I guess that the point of the SFDR is to try and create a standardized environment for, for the definitions that people use for making their ESG disclosures. So at least everyone is using the same measurements, even if they are sort of talking about slightly different things. But um, as one ESG manager sort of told me, you know, no one wants to be told what good looks like. The second area I picked is around sort of some of the substance regulations like um, CP86 in, in Ireland and there are various sort of different ones around Europe, which is basically, you know, what, what will that mean for the future of the delegation model? Like increasingly, we're, we're seeing the use of third-party management companies, but, you know, how effective are they or are people sort of just using the, the sort of regulations to their own advantage and i guess related to that is the various talk about a more aligned tax system internationally and leveling corporation tax rates and and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out you know how important are tax rates to when it comes to choosing a, a domicile because you know we often hear a lot about The, the talent of the people available, the education system and everything but the tax rate is, is mentioned. So when that's put to the test, how important will that be? And I guess you add to that the UK and the regulatory impact of Brexit. 
And then the, the third area I'd pick would be uh, around digital assets and crypto especially. So we're seeing sort of some countries trying to set themselves up as crypto hubs. And we're also seeing sort of more mainstream or institutional interest in, in crypto. But in order for that interest to be justified, you have to have more rules around it. So I guess are we going to see a two-tier system develop where you have the largely unregulated world, which sort of some of the digital natives or more um, the digital purists want that kind of environment free of central banks, etc. But anything institutional would need that sort of familiar kind of structure. Very interesting areas. I think the, to your last point, an interesting question is how much of that crypto scene will be taken over by, for example, CBDCs, the central bank cryptocurrency. We've seen some efforts there globally and uh, how will that actually be implemented and will it take over a significant part of the, the system there? Some of these dis disruptions or innovations, uh, are they genuine innovations or is it just that they don't have to deal with any regulation? You know, it's, it's social media, Twitter, something that took off because you're instantly publishing without any regulation. As soon as you try to start to bring some regulation in, do you lose the innovation? And I guess that also raises the question that if regulation is so critical, that then maybe something, something is wrong. That is an interesting thought, yes. If regulation is so critical does that point to deeper underlying problems. Very interesting. I also like your point about ESG. We have looked from our company standpoint at ESG measures and the whole sustainable finance movement and regulations that are coming in and have already been enacted here in Europe. But we found there is still a big challenge in getting those numbers to match from different suppliers, from different approaches. And uh, we certainly would welcome first a bit more clarity in the form of regulations, maybe maybe something a bit weaker that uh, isn't, isn't quite up to that standard, but at least that we're talking about the right numbers. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a bit of a mess at the moment, but at least there's a recognition that it's a mess. You've mentioned Basel driving some changes And uh, my question would be, are regulatory changes even the main driver for large-scale innovation within the industry, or what is? Prior to the pandemic, uh, I would have said yes, definitely. It probably still is, although I, I get sometimes uncomfortable with the word innovation, or I, I like to use it with caution, particularly around regulation, because it makes me think of sort of Bernie Madoff, innovative accountancy. I guess the, the the single thing about regulation, you know, is it has to be done. And that's, I think, what drives spending, spending on technology. But I, I guess the thing that always comes up is the, the nirvana for any sort of regulatory approach is to comply with the regulations, but also make your organization more efficient. So, you know, so you're not doing all of that work for the sake of it, but you, you're actually using it to know more about how your company operates. It's only really when you try and meet some of these large regulatory requirements that you realize how disorganized your data management is. So I think it's been a massive influence on data management and data management has been a massive influence on technology itself. So you see these kind of front-to-back outsourcing offerings purely because... People just want one provider 
where possible, doing all of their operations so that they can manage their data marketing using five, six different vendors. Going back to asset management a bit, uh, what areas are asset management firms prioritizing when it comes to technology investments? Yeah, I mean, we've done several surveys on this in sort of recent recent months, and the main priority is probably data management. I guess going back to the point I made, data sort of drives everything, and regulatory reporting, client reporting, performance reporting, and yeah, there's been that sort of growing recognition that data management is is poor when you have so many sort of disparate systems. So. At the same time, there's also that kind of demand to consolidate vendors and systems. And what this might lead to, I think, is a sort of a different approach to technology provision. And this might be for large and small asset managers where you have almost like a single operational outsourcing partner who doesn't necessarily provide all of that technology, but kind of curates it. So I, I think the future seems to be this kind of, and I use the word advisedly, a kind of technology ecosystem where you have lots of sort of microservices where you're still able to use fintechs and regtechs that are sort of specialists, but they're feeding into an environment that is managed possibly by a third party where it's all sort of cloud-based, software-as-a-service-based, usage-based, and everything is compatible and, and talks to each other. The operations guy, the asset manager, is, is just someone who's sort of managing those vendor relationships and setting the strategy for the asset manager rather than developing lots of Excel spreadsheets. I absolutely understand that, especially for a lot of the smaller asset management firms, it would be very challenging to find out what all the technology vendors do and what are the pros and cons and, and work through that uh, again and again. And working with a larger vendor makes that easier. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you just think of if you're an asset manager starting today or launching today, what, what approach would you take? It would probably be very different from the approach that the large established asset managers have now. Another question based on your insights, can you share some interesting regional trends you might have spotted in relation to tech and asset management? Where are some of the most interesting innovations coming from and what elements do you think are fostering such a favorable environment? I think there's uh, interesting developments with digital and crypto assets in countries like Liechtenstein looking to sort of carve out the niche, also Switzerland. But then you have sort of the larger countries in Europe looking to sort of maintain the status quo and ensure that you, you, you don't necessarily have this uneven environment where countries can gain the system. There are sort of various trends. I've seen things like uh, in, in France, there's a lot of development on, on AI, artificial intelligence. A lot of that seems to stem from a, a kind of tradition of engineering and, and mathematics in the school system putting a lot of government money into funding a lot of these startups. And if you try and develop a speciality for a particular technology, then it feeds itself and you know it generates more companies looking to do the same. I guess I have a theory related to that about why Ireland is so strong in the reg tech space. Now, I should add, it is completely without any evidence, but it stems basically from a religious tradition and the strong role of the church in the state and this part of the national 
society, the, the worst will always happen is this kind of um, national pessimism. And there's a remarkably high number of people in Ireland that do actually actuarial sciences for a degree because it, it's a solid career choice. And I think it's a trend sort of based on that worst case scenario. For this. And there's also this whole industry in after school tuition grinds people because there's this paranoia about not doing well enough, not getting enough points. So I think that partially explains why Ireland is so strong on Brexit. There's, there's a whole number of people qualified in that area. And it, it's the sort of software equivalent of the actuarial sort of science degree. So that's, that's one theory, like I say, completely without evidence. Um, Good one, but I, I'm not commenting, though, because my wife is Irish, obviously. So with, with that background, I'm, I'm careful. My wife is Irish. It must be some special combination here, because uh, what I've seen in Asia, even, uh, that uh, in both Singapore and Hong Kong, especially, that they recognize Ireland as a force in RecTech. Enterprise Ireland is a, is a big driver there, uh, but they could promote anything in the fintech, the financial tech events in Asia, they have promoted a pavilion that they called Ireland Ragtag Pavilion uh, for that reason, because we're so strong there. Yeah. Okay. One last question that I ask all my guests. If tomorrow you woke up, Nick is the global financial regulator. What would be the first thing you would do? Uh, I've actually put four things down. It's probably a bit greedy, but the first one is probably the most important. The first thing I would do is try and address the chasm-like pay gap between regulators and the people they regulate. So it can't help with recruitment either. So I, I think if you were to radically reshape the respective remuneration of regulators and the people they regulate, we'd get a far more efficient regulatory system and far more people within the uh, regulators. The second thing I would do, and it's not necessarily a, a regulation, but I would encourage asset managers and banks just to get on with it. And, you know, if you buy into the concept of responsible regulation, then then just get on with it. Every single institution is banging on about their social responsibility and divest, divesting from firms that ride roughshod over, over the rules. But then whenever any regulation is introduced there's just this endless lobbying process and then by the time the regulation does come in it's already time to revise it anyway because the world has changed so i would like to see less money spent on lobbying and more money spent on just getting on with it and spending it on technology or systems third thing of my single request uh, would be to encourage a more radical regulatory agenda following a crisis like in the in the last 20 years we've seen i don't know how many once in a hundred years events. And you think this is the perfect opportunity to introduce radical changes whilst it's still fresh in everybody's memory that whatever system we have at the moment clearly doesn't work. But again, maybe it's related to the endless lobbying that it takes so long for changes to actually come in that it, it just sort of doesn't seem to happen. And you look at the environment now and we've got sort of four or five tech companies, bigger than, than ever before, making more profits. So that whole too big to fail thing doesn't seem to have had any effect. We're in a more inequitable environment than ever before. So that, that's a disappointment. And then finally, uh, I would ban Elon Musk from holding any kind of company 
directorship and hold him and anyone to account that abuses their uh, their messaging platform. And also, one final one, uh, I'll find anyone who misuses the term innovation and talent when it comes to financial services. So, you know, let's not get carried away. Let's just use efficient and competent. Love the last point, but actually I love all your points. It's, uh, I think, the most comprehensive answer I've ever gotten for this question. Fantastic. This has been an excellent interview. Thanks so much, Nick. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, answering questions because I, I don't get to answer many questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning Rec Tech provider Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash rectalks.